0: Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at
1: the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon, official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code radio20 at bloomberglive.com
2: slash greenfestival.
1: You're listening to Bloomberg Law with June Grosso. From Bloomberg Radio.
2: The Equal Rights Amendment has been a work in progress for nearly a century. And it's back in the spotlight again. Last month, Virginia voted to ratify the amendment, becoming the 38th and final state needed. And today, the House passed a resolution to eliminate a 1982 deadline for states to ratify the ERA to cheers. On this vote, the yeas are 232 the nays are
1: 183. The joint resolution is passed.
2: The sponsor of the bill, Representative Jackie Speer of California, said there's no deadline for equality. Women w- are, want to be equal and we want it in the Constitution. I am equal on this House floor with all of my male colleagues. But when I walk out, I have fewer rights and protections than them. I rise today because the women of America are done being second-class citizens. We are done being paid less for our work, done being violated with impunity, done being discriminated against for our pregnancies, done being discriminated against simply because we are women. The ERA is about equality. My guest is Julie Sook, a professor of sociology and dean for the master's programs at the City University of New York. So, Julie, explain what the ERA would do.
3: So the ERA would add an amendment to the U.S. Constitution that guarantees equality of rights under the law without denial or abridgment on account of sex. And it's long been understood as an amendment that would grant equal citizenship status to women. So that's just fundamentally what it would actually do. And then there's this deeper question of what would it actually change about the law that we have now and the world that we inhabit. And I think that's a deeper question.
2: Virginia was the 38th and final state needed for ratifying the ERA, but it was a little late in doing that. So explain the situation.
3: So the Equal Rights Amendment was actually adopted by Congress in 1972. It was drafted and introduced for about 50 years before 1972. But the Constitution says that both houses of Congress have to adopt an amendment by a two-thirds majority in each house before it goes to the states for ratification. And so the Congress did not adopt it until 1972. And when it did that, it put a seven-year deadline on ratification by the states. By the time you got to 1977, 35 states had ratified, and currently you need 38 states in order to constitute the three-fourths of the states that Article Five of the Constitution requires. So the problem was that by 1977, which was about five years in. There were only 35 ratifications, and Congress got worried, rightly, that they would not get to 38 by the deadline. So they extended the deadline once, and they extended it to 1982. But the three ratifications that they were waiting for did not come in by 1982. And so the ERA was long presumed dead after 1982. But very interestingly, some states started ratifying it again in 2017. Nevada ratified in 2017, Illinois ratified in 2018, and Virginia ratified it. Uh, So now we're at the magic number, which is 38, but there remains a legal and political question as to whether or not those three states that ratified after the deadline should be counted.
2: There are dueling lawsuits by states. Let's start with the three states that passed the ERA in 2017, 2018, and 2019 who are suing the National Archivist.
3: Virginia, Nevada, and Illinois are the three states that ratified in the 21st century. And they are claiming in the lawsuit that the ERA should be recognized as part of the Constitution now. So they're suing the archivist of the United States, demanding that he add the ERA to the Constitution now on the theory that the deadline has no legal effect. And so their legal theory is that because Article 5 does not mention any deadlines, the Equal Rights Amendment has met the requirements that are actually mentioned in the text of the Constitution at Article 5, which is two-thirds of Congress in each house and three-fourths of the states ratifying. So that is the argument that is being uh, put forth there.
2: They noted that the last amendment to be added in 1992 took more than 200 years to be ratified by 38
3: states? Yes, so that amendment was actually written by founding father James Madison himself, and it was proposed, it was adopted by both houses of Congress in 1789, along with the original Bill of Rights but they didn't get enough states to ratify it in the 18th or 19th centuries. And then there was a movement that began ratifications all over again in the 1980s, and they finally reached 38 ratifications in 1992.
0: Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid to large sized businesses like yours effectively manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers comp and more.
2: The Justice Department's Office of Legal Counsel issued an opinion last month that told the National Archives it should not certify the ERA as the 28th Amendment. Tell us about that opinion.
3: That opinion says the legal opinion taken by the Justice Department is that the ERA is no longer open to ratification because of the deadline that lapsed in 1982, and therefore The three states that ratified after that deadline should not be counted as ratified states, and therefore, if the ERA is going to be made into an amendment, Congress would have to go back to square one in passing it all over again by two-thirds majority in, in both houses, and then you'd have to start the ratification process by the states all over again. So that is the Justice Department's position. It's a position with which, obviously, the three states that have ratified recently disagree, and that's the basis of their lawsuit. To my mind, the one question that remains is whether or not Congress has the power to put deadlines in and also to extend deadlines or remove deadlines under the Constitution. And I believe that Congress actually does have the power to control the ratification process. And I think it's that power that may give Congress the power to impose deadlines that would also give Congress the ability to remove a deadline.
2: You mentioned legal and political reasons. Is the Justice Mm -hmm. Department's position more legal or political? Could a Justice Department under another president rule differently?
3: Yes. So I think whether it's legal or political, I believe that there are different reasonable positions that could be taken on this question, whether by a future Justice Department or even by a judge. So the Justice Department's position is that the deadline was valid and that it passed. And they've also taken the view that once a deadline passes, Congress is without power to change the deadline after it has passed. And I think that's the question on which there is a lot of reasonable disagreement. That is, Congress actually extended the deadline once already. Of course, that deadline extension happened in 1978 before the deadline passed. So it's this question of timing, and I don't think that the Constitution or even some of the precedents about deadlines on amendments offer a clear answer. Let's
2: talk about the ERA itself and the arguments for and against. So what do advocates of the ERA say it will do? What are the implications of it?
3: Well, I think the advocates fundamentally think it's important that a constitution recognize sex equality as a foundational principle in this nation's foundational document, I think that's the most important argument, and it's a fact that most constitutions around the world, and every constitution written after World War II, has language in it that explicitly speaks to sex equality or equality between women and men. And so that's something that I think that's extremely important. And there are many different things that it might do legally. One thing that it will do legally is prohibit discrimination on account of sex. Part of the disagreement as to whether that's really necessary in the U.S. Constitution right now is that the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution adopted after the Civil War has an equal protection clause in it. It doesn't say anything about women or about gender or sex. But since the 1970s, the Supreme Court has said that the 14th Amendment prohibits sex discrimination.
2: Even if you take the view that it does that, there seems to be no harm in adding an amendment that also mentions sex.
3: I agree with you on that. I don't think there's any harm to it. And in fact, I would argue that it's also necessary to do it. And here's why. For a long time, people tried to bring lawsuits before judges that eventually went up to the Supreme Court that challenged sex discrimination. And the courts said that the 14th Amendment did not prohibit sex discrimination in those cases. And they really just changed what they were doing in a huge way in the 1970s. And it wasn't a coincidence that the Supreme Court started recognizing sex discrimination as a constitutional problem at the very moment that the ERA was gaining political traction in the House of Representatives. It was after the House of Representatives voted by an overwhelming majority to adopt the ERA, and we were waiting for for the Senate to act. But at that moment, the Supreme Court decided Reed versus Reed, which is the first case that says that sex classifications in the law should be scrutinized under the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. So I think one of the things that the, the ERA would do that's very important is to recognize the work that the ERA has already done to change the Constitution. And a lot of that work has been done by women as Constitution makers. There were women in Congress who advocated fiercely for the Equal Rights Amendment against a lot of opposition. Uh, And then there were women who advocated in those Supreme Court cases like Reed versus Reed uh, to recognize sex discrimination as a principle under the 14th Amendment. And I think that work has gone kind of invisible, and unrecognized in the text of our constitution. And the ERA is really needed to acknowledge the contributions of women as constitution makers and acknowledge the process by which sex equality has become an important constitutional value.
2: So it will have symbolic value as well as legal value.
3: Right. And I think it's important to say symbolic as well as legal, not merely symbolic. Because the story that I've just told with recognizing things that have already happened, I don't think of that as merely symbolic. I think that is actually legal. That is, we're acknowledging something that has changed and we're recognizing the sources of that authority in the law. And I think doing that is very important for creating the legal conditions by which other important legal change can happen.
2: One argument of opponents of the ERA is that it would quash state abortion restrictions.
3: Is that the case? Well, the Equal Rights Amendment says equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or or any state on account of sex. And so the question would come up as to whether or not there are some abortion restrictions that amount to a denial of equal rights on account of sex. And I don't think that you can answer the question about every single abortion regulation that exists, but if there exists some abortion regulations that are based on gender stereotypes and uh, work in a manner that actually amount to discrimination against women, then I think there is an argument that the Equal Rights Amendment is incompatible with some abortion restrictions. I do think that the debate has gotten a little confused because some of the opponents of the ERA suggests that every possible abortion regulation you could imagine would become invalid and I don't think that is true but at the same time I think it's important to recognize that reproductive justice is linked in important ways to equality for women and that's something that's recognized by people who are both pro-life and pro-choice.
2: Finally, There seem to be a lot of obstacles to the ERA. What do you think the chances are that it will actually be added to the Constitution?
3: I think in the long run, it will be added to the Constitution. I can't predict what the Senate will do. There is a bipartisan bill in the Senate as well. I don't know if it's going to move and if they will get enough votes, at least in this session. But I do think that this is the centennial year of the 19th Amendment, which gave women the right to vote. And a lot of the polling that has been done in states that had not ratified, so there was a lot of polling in Virginia before Virginia ratified that suggested that 80% of Virginians supported the ERA. I think there have been similar polls now in Utah suggesting that a majority, uh, a healthy majority of Utahns uh, support the ERA. They haven't yet ratified. So given that there is popular support for the ERA, I do think that in this particular year when we're celebrating women having the right to vote for 100 years, there might be some political consequences for members of Congress who are not willing to remove the deadline in this election year. And I think that if that happens, then perhaps next year or the year after, there might be support in both houses of Congress for removing the deadline. And I think if that happens, uh, we will have an ERA that is added to the Constitution without its legitimacy being questioned.
2: Thanks for being on Bloomberg Law, Julie. That's Julie Sook, Dean for the Master's Programs at the City University of New York.
0: Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it.